0: Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another Around the World in 80 Drinks podcast. podcast that's celebrating all things drinks. Thank you for choosing our podcast. If you're new, it's just about drinks from all over the world that we've enjoyed. We, the thinking drinkers, and we really pack in loads of stuff about drinks, uh, weird facts, history. Sometimes we talk about uh, very personal matters, which... Mm -hmm frankly best kept to ourselves mm-hmm. but we, we, we generally talk about drink and we are me Tom Sandham and my fellow thinking drinker Ben McFarland. Hello Ben, how are you?
1: Very well Tom, very good introduction, I thought you stand up beautifully there. Um, yeah I'm very good, how are you? What's going on? What go on? Uh,
0: this and that, um, what's going on in my life? Uh, uh, well I'm drinking a lot of rum which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get onto in a bit, still going out on the bike, Massive thank you to everyone who's been tuning into our or downloading or subscribing to our, podcast. <laughs> whatever the
1: jargon is. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is this radio? Is this podding? Who knows? And there really have been. Our, our, we've had a huge success, haven't we? Out of the, a massive spike. Uh,
1: the, oh, yeah. Uh,
0: well done, everyone, for doing that. Uh, if you haven't listened to the previous pods, go back and listen to them. We just did a Port de France series, which was very, very well listened to.
1: And there was a prize, wasn't there? There was. Um, We were giving away a Watney's Beer cycling top, and the winner was Darren Barrett. There we go. Uh, And thanks, everyone, for entering. Both of you. That's brilliant. And what have you been up to to recently? Have you been doing anything interesting you want to tell Uh, listeners about? Yeah, not much living my life. Do you want to know what I had for breakfast?
0: Might as well. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, after weeks of... uh, I've been eating granola... Healthy. Well, apparently is not as healthy as i it's thought. It's is it? Is it? Not it's no,
0: nice. I, I have it every day, but I have it yeah. with lots of fruits. and. That, yeah, I'll that's... have it with
1: yoghurt and frozen blueberries. Yeah. Obviously, I defrost them. Um, but for the first time in ages, apropos of nothing, I went this morning for Weetabix sprinkled with Demerara sugar on top. Oh. Now, this is a bit of a childhood classic of mine. When I was growing up, I loved this, because um, my folks used to have Demerara brown sugar, very middle class, you see. Uh, West London middle class. We had Demerara sugar and I used put that in their coffee and I used to sprinkle on my Wheatabix And it's got uh, some lovely, wonderful textures going on with it. So, well, yeah, you've got the softness of the milk-soaked kind of woven wheat and that's really uplifted by the crisp crunch of that Demerara sugar. And it's a really good uh, sort of pick-me-up for the beginning of the day. And as I shoveled it into my face, Tom, I realised that we were going to be talking about rum today. And I thought, well, was there something in in my subconscious that knew that and yearned after weeks of healthy granola and blueberries, yearned for some posh demerara sugar? Wow. We'll we'll never know. We'll never know know. because it was in my, uh, it's in my sub, if it was there, it was in my subconscious.
0: (laughs) and and It's it's hard to access without the help of professionals.
1: Yeah, therapy. And whilst, as you admitted earlier, this is, a form of therapy I think if we really delve deep into my subconscious it would be deemed unsuitable for everyone <laughs> so uh, but I can recommend that's a great breakfast. Wheat
0: yeah. speaks yeah. goes down well in our house along with baked beans um, for obvious side effects reasons you yeah. can sell high fiber products yes. to children yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for uh, sure. on the strength of what happens later in the day yeah much merriment around the dinner table. It's good to keep regular. Uh, yeah, uh, but the reason we are, as you mentioned, we're talking about rum. So, not to bang on about the huge success of our podcast and the thousands of you who are now millions downloading millions, uh, but the thousands who are uh, because of all of this, uh, we we've been um, we've been talked into doing uh, a little another mini series, really, and we
1: when you say Lombard. talked into Tom, So, what, what, what exactly? Well, do you I'll, I'll,
0: I'll, let me expand on that a little. But the, <laughs> right, the, the miniseries will be uh, three episodes, all about, all dedicated to rum, and we're going to go a
1: trium triumvirate of r-rum-ver-t of podcasts. R-rum-ver-t.
0: Nice, nice. Thanks. And um, we want to talk about the history, how it's made how to use it in drinks uh, yeah. We talk to a lot of people with our shows who are falling in love with the rum. It's, it's changed. People have changed their mind on what this spirit is. We're helping
1: with our, I think we're um, trailblazing breed
0: of education. Um, so we looked at doing something on rum and so impressed were not only the listeners with our podcast, but also mm-hmm. the drinks companies that, uh, one such drinks company came forward and said, we'd like to be involved in that. Can we partner up with you? And we said, Yes, you can. Of course (laughs) you can.
1: And and they said, we said, as long as you've got integrity and you don't put asbestos in your realm or anything like that, we're on board. Yes. It's all about Um... partnerships, isn't it?
0: It is. And we, we were delighted because the company that came on and said they want to partner us with this rum history is the Diplomatico Rums. Oh. And Diplomatico uh, is, a, is a fantastic set of rums, not just one. Um, mm. Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva is a rum that we know particularly well because we've used it in our shows, but there's a whole range of rums. So it seemed like a good partner for this because we can talk through how rum's made, the different yep. styles, different techniques, and they've got a whole portfolio of different rums that will Help us through the next three episodes. Also, they're all available to buy, which is useful if you're listening and you think, I want some of that rum. And it's all on the whiskey exchange, so you can go along and uh, and buy some after we've talked about it. It is made in a a, a very careful way. They use lots of really great uh, traditional and modern techniques. Uh, They've got two guys over there in Venezuela, where Diplomatico is distilled, Nelson Hernandez and Tito Cordera. Uh, they're masters of rum and they're respected all around the world. So they've got all the credentials we needed, and they sort of give us the the backbone of of our our rum mini series. So we thought, well, yes, why not? Let's go deep into rum. they are also
1: been a uh, big part of London Cocktail Week. Huh? Yes,
0: which is yeah. We're talking
1: now. to you. We're recording this on the first of October, my son's birthday. Happy birthday, Remy. He's six. You won't be listening to this because it's about alcohol. And he doesn't care about what I do, but it is as well as his birthday. It is a prestigious day because it is the beginning of London Cocktail Week, which has been running since 2010. Tom, it's incredible. So this is strangely their eleventh day. I was reading it. They say eleventh year, which makes you think it was 2009 they started, but no, it's 2010 because you count one on the ten. But in that uh, eleven years, I don't think they've had a. Harder job than the one I've got now because, obviously, I don't know if you've heard Tom, but there's a global pandemic going on. There's the going around, <laughs> isn't there? Um, a bug going around, isn't it? Yeah, a bug going around. going around, isn't there? A bug going around. Despite world. the uh, um, and this 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 bug that seems to be going around um, has really ballsed up the bar scene in in the UK and London in particular. But despite that, the lovely folk who Run London Cocktail well, actually managed to keep it going this year, which is absolutely brilliant. At you know, a time when pubs and bars are seemingly being blamed for pretty much everything with regard to this virus, and then they throw in the 10 p.m. curfew, I, I, it's, it's it's not easy. They might well might as well organise I don't know a national face licking competition or something like that. That might have been easier. But the um but this this they are going ahead with it. And just incidentally, Tom, whilst I was doing my research and looking at the 10 p.m. curfew, do you know where? Curfew comes from what the uh, I don't. This is isn't. good now. Now, I'm going to learn comes something. from the old French phrase couvre feu, which means cover fire. I was going to say
0: curtains, pulling curtains on
1: something or um, yeah. cover, cover, well, okay, yeah, cover fire. Mm. And that was it comes from medieval times. Uh, it was it was sort of adopted into middle English and it meant uh, at the end of the night when everyone was sat around a fire telling stories and eating mammoths and stuff like that. They went, right, time to go to bed. And they would put a cover over the fire. It would go out and everyone would go sleepy, sleepy bye-bye. Oh,
0: so that is a kind of curtains out. on
1: things. Hmm. It is, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. put curtain on a fire. No. Necessarily. But um, that's a little bit of etymological <laughs> Thank history you. for you.
0: Love word origin stories. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, they've, um, to put, uh, in general, they've really pulled it out of the bag uh, this mm. week. They've organised London on the cocktail week. It's always great, um, but it's going to be even better this time because it's not just a week. They've extended it to the entire month of October. A whole 31 days of fun and fun. Mm. Um, and they're working with loads of, uh, in conjunction with loads of the great spirit companies, drinks companies, um such as diplomatico for example i've just put that one (laughs) um and i'm working there's loads of loads of brilliant events um both online and 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 actually happening there's loads of discounts on quality quality cocktails uh which are a a massive step up on some of the homemade efforts you or i may have created during lockdown But crucially, if you live in London or its environs, it's a fantastic opportunity to go out and support our bars. God knows they could do with some love. So uh, we're going to go out there and um, drink responsibly, (laughs) but uh, enthusiastically. We're going to go to Happiness Forgets in Hoxton, which is a superb bar. We're going to be trying a great Diplomatico cocktail called uh, Two Barrels. And that has the Reserva Exclusiva, homemade gunpowder falernum. Do you know what falernum is, Tom? i do so tell the listeners good uh when i say do you know I'll, i'm talking t- to the listeners really okay For I me mean. but yeah. they can't answer so i sort of say to you and so you're, nice. you're playing the role of of the, i Man, know you're so know. good at this you yeah. really yeah. Are. so it's a sweet syrup uh it's got lime bit sugar other ingredients clothes almonds and, uh probably some gunpowder i don't know ask them when you go and buy it and then you've got yeah. some campari as well and they stir it on the rocks and they're also, nice. if you're lazy or in quarantine, then they're also delivering drinks to, to people this year. So go to www. No, all the W's, three of them, londoncocktailweek.com. And mm. we'll put that, we'll put all the details uh, below the pod when, when this goes up on the YouTubes and, and the like. So yeah, um, yeah. so this is Great. coinciding with that. And it's very exciting, and we should support it. Yeah, I've got a picture of London Cocktail
0: Week signage behind me. If you are listening to this on the audio platforms, brilliant. We are also making video content now with lots of images that are appropriate for what we're talking about. So find us on Facebook, which is where we put most of our video content. You can find them on YouTube as well, but uh, we're not really talking about it on YouTube, are we, Ben? We're just doing it
1: through Well, social. I think there's loads of sort of algorithms and stuff. Right
0: with <laughs> Don't, to get, get, a don't get YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> are loads of kids who know what they're doing. So just find us on Facebook and you can see the I pictures. Mean, and we've got hard. a nice picture behind yeah. me now, Ben. And it looks like grass, doesn't it? But it's actually sugar cane. Oh, I think it brings one. us yeah. onto our story of rum. And it's a Seamless song. I don't know. Well, that's how, how we roll. And, uh, and and we before we go into what rum is, well, I suppose we need to give the history of sugar, and we we'll try and do a whistle strop whistle strop whistle stop uh, yeah. history of sugar and rum, and we're going to go all the way to prehistory, which is. I understand before history <laughs> you know what prehistory means before
1: history started
0: before history was a thing uh but neolithic man because there is evidence the neolithic man was chewing on these sugarcane bits of grass because obviously it tasted really really yeah. nice but the first evidence of them uh, domesticating or uh cultivating sugarcane was in 8000 bc that is a long time ago. Before was,
1: sweet baby Jesus was born. Before mm. b-
0: before, before Christ, indeed, 8,000 years before he came along. Uh, and it was the indigenous people of New Guinea where we have the first evidence of people chewing it raw. They're pretty good. They were the first to put in irrigation systems to help cultivate their sugar cane. So uh, well done there. I love the Guineans. Yeah, the guys. Cool cats. And uh, they, they, what they were creating was so popular. They took it with them when they went out on boats. The oldest boat, Ben,
1: is that that is that this thing, this wooden thing? Is a it like a... wooden?
0: A wooden pesse canoe. It's tiny. From the Mesolithic period, which is around the same time, 8,000 BC, and it would have been on one of these that those people would have jumped on and taken their sugar cane. As they traveled out to places like southeast asia china india and sugarcane spread out and was the methods of cultivating it became popular because it tasted really nice so that's a canoe ben it is a um, canoe
1: oh is it a kayak because i always well, get well, they called it a pesse canoe so okay we're not gonna argue with them no yeah um, i mean it's, I it can't. looks like a twig to me but <laughs> Yeah. They didn't have tools, did they? Nothing. So it floated, and they <gasps> yep. could put sugar on it. So um,
0: if we, a bit like my move... Winterbics, yeah, exactly. Um, and the next picture I've got for people who can see the pictures is um, is, is what looks like a bit like a statue, but it's actually a I think it's mummified, or a, it's it's a, it's a person that they have dug up. These uh, people it? who can dig people up huh. and test what's going on inside them, and it's a Roman because the Romans they also liked sugar. And crystallized sugar has been found in the medicinal records of both the Romans and the Greeks. Oh, so I the Romans words. were saying that a spoonful of sugar literally was helpful in terms of your medicine going down. Uh-uh. They were they were used they were using it for me. But as we know, as we talked about on our podcasts and in our shows, the Romans often pop up using various things they claim to be medicinal, including, uh, Juniper we've, we've mentioned in the past. Yeah. Also turpentine, which I'm pretty sure yeah,
1: they made wine um, with turpentine, didn't they?
0: Yeah. And lead acetate. I discovered the other day, uh, there's a lot of lead poisoning because they had lead acetate, which is a bit like a, a bit like, um, a salty thing that they put in their foods. So they were uh, nut jobs, but there is actually a precedent for using sugar in wounds. And I, I discovered this from the 80s. Dr. Richard Nutson, M.D., crea- created a formula using sugar to help with wounds. And he mixed—this is how he did it—he mixed four pounds of table sugar, right. one pound of betadine, which is iodine or an antiseptic ointment, right. six point five ounces of betadine solution.
1: It's quite a lot for that yeah but still yeah.
0: so i just to say betadine solution is an antiseptic as well as a sterile topical mm-hmm. aqueous solution so essentially he put sugar into what sounds like two antiseptic lotions
1: so it'd be like <laughs> so it'd be like saying oh uh, i think that minstrels are, have medicinal powers <laughs> but then crushing them up and put them in with some paracetamol
0: exactly uh yeah. So and, and you have done that. I've seen you do that in our yeah, Yeah, yeah. pre tension. Uh, very, very, very <laughs> during very low ebbs. Yeah and eating entire bags of minstrels. Not not the little packets. Uh, grab bags, big ones. The grab the grab bags. That cost three pounds fifty in all good service oh. stations. <sighs> Scandalous. Scandalous. Well uh the sugar then moved away. We've got uh, evidence of sugar being used in India. Uh, in the fourth century, the Gupta dynasty. And this lot were pretty good. I did a little bit of reading around the Gupta yep. dynasty. They, uh, they came up with a theory of zero, which is appropriate during these t- COVID times. Every time we look in our bank account, hence working with people like Diplomatico. Uh, zero. Yep. zero. was their theory. And uh, Chaturunga. Do you know what Chaturunga is?
1: I do, Tom. Chess. Well, it's chess isn't it
0: yeah yeah and uh, and they apparently they were the, this was the forerunner for chess so the chatter the, the gupta dynasty was pretty important i mean i i say that i got that information off wikipedia so should probably check mate
1: oh christ <laughs>
0: yeah
1: does it were they uh, were they <laughs> were they did they uh were their the first indian civilization to get into porn Pawns? No.
0: Move on. Come on. (laughs) Let's move on. But sugar there was referred to as Kanda in India. Uh, Some speculation from the Americans that that gave them the word candy. And then, of course, along came, yeah, there's a bit of a a sugar fact for you. And then along came this this dude who we've talked a lot about in our shows, Alexander the Great. He came along invaded. Uh, He sent in Nearchus, his Uh, navarch. Navarch is a naval leader charge of belly buttons <laughs> he was going up and down the indus river and saw the locals were drinking fermented sugar drinks and this was in 325 and nearchus said As, it was a reed in india that brings forth honey without the help of bees from yeah. which an intoxicating drink is made though the plant bears no fruit so they worked out they were using the sugar cane to make a fermented drink and he took that back alexander and his blood in his in his team took that back to Europe, and I just had a little map of where what Alexander's empire was at that time. It's pretty good, man. It was very, very big. If you can see the images we're showing, uh, it it goes all the way up to the cusp of Italy, so you can see now we're getting sugarcane, and sugarcane drinks into Europe, which brings us neatly uh, onto the sugar trade, Ben.
1: Yeah, I mean, Alexander the Great, very interesting fella, because his dad, he was a massive drinker even by, by today's standards, a massive drinker. But his dad was also a massive drinker as well. And he so much so, he was called the Human Sponge. Basically, Alexander the Great was driven by drink and uh, a desire to impress his dad. Which he did, because he created the greatest, biggest empire the world has ever seen. Pretty much. Whilst being very, very drunk, he was—he was basically the history's greatest functioning alcoholic. I think I'd say. Would you say that? Okay, to
0: me? I'd say yeah. But I, I mean, it's not big or clever.
1: No, 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 no. no. So but so I mean, different drink times. Drink less,
0: drink better. As we yeah, absolutely. Saying, the it, it, imagine
1: drinkers. what he, imagine Tom what he could have what achieved could he have had achieved? he been sober. If, if he'd have had just three pints instead. Yes, of if exactly. If he pints. just introduced mm. a soft drink into his repertoire. Mm. When three, three or something. Made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah take a mm-hmm. break guys give your liver a rest um uh so yeah right let's let's jump forward a bit to the 15th century uh which was when everyone really got into the sugar game uh it was in the um yeah in, in the 1400s that the the heavyweight european nations began venturing west and they started planting sugar cane on small islands off the west coast of africa the azores and madeira which obviously better known for wine now but that once once a massive uh, essentially a sugar plantation um, now when when the European powers particularly Portugal and Spain continued to pack man up use use sort of chunks of the Caribbean and South America they realized that these newly acquired and inverted commons lands were perfect for for, for planting sugarcane it was, it was hot it was humid and the sugar grew sugarcane grew freely um, and the, the Portuguese were the first to um, really uh turn the sugar into a profitable trade with huge plantations in brazil but the the drinks legacy that they 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 and they were the first people to really make a drink with it and i've called it drinker and that's cachaca which is a whole nother sugar-based distillate which is very similar to rum uh, it's made out of sugarcane and it's one of the biggest selling spirits in the world in obviously in brazil mainly and it's the spirit in a Kuiperahina, which. Anyway, but when the English uh, and the Dutch and the French started land grabbing in the Caribbean and planting sugar there, they realized that you could make a spirit from molasses, which is essentially the byproduct of refining sugarcane. And this made it incredibly cheap and extremely profitable. The Europeans needed that, they needed a workforce to cultivate the sugarcane. And this is where it all gets rather. Horrible! It's here that the, the the nefarious nature of sugar's history rears its its, 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 its rather ugly head. Because, um, well, I mean, if you look, I've just been talking about how Europe has took took over huge parts of huge parts of of, 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 the, of the new world, if you want to call it that. Um, and we've d- we've done what a lot of historians tend to do, and use rather sanitized terms for taking things they're just, sort of, uh, <laughs> just convenient murdering and yeah. robbing <laughs> very convenient we just euphemisms for <laughs> uh just for so, so, um loads of unpleasant stuff loss of killing mm. violence mm. exploitation religious tyranny and all-round awful terrible behavior that um as europeans we are rightly uh rather ashamed about um yeah arguably the worst legacy of this whole thing was was of course slavery and there's no getting away from it Tom for more than two centuries rum was was extremely complicit in the in in the triangular slave trade between West Africa, the Caribbean and American and europe so um basically molasses from the Caribbean was traded to both Europe and America, where it was distilled into rum. then the profits from the sale of sugar were used to purchase manufactured goods, which were then shipped to west africa where they were they they were bartered bartered for slaves now those slaves were then brought back to the caribbean to be sold to sugar planters and forced to and they were forced to work on the sugar plantations where they were actually not paid in money they were paid in brandy and rum profits from the sale of these slaves were then used to buy more sugar which was shipped to europe and then the whole horrific cycle started again and between 1690 and 1713 1.8 million gallons of rum were swapped for 60,000 humans. So, I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, sugar coating uh, it. There's no sugar coating. Good. Mm. Um, uh, no, it's grim. It's, it's grim. It's an appalling legacy. And right now, everyone in the industry is, is really working hard and doing its best not to brush this under the carpet, not to ignore this, 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 this history and this, um, rather dark stain on, on Rum's, Rum's past, because most brands are doing what they can to address this. They're acknowledging Rum's role. They're educating both the trade and consumers about the spirit's part, spirit's past, rather, uh, as part of a sort of wider understanding of black history, which is going on. In fact, as well as London Cocktail Week, um, I think they'd forgive me for saying it. it's all more importantly as well. It's the beginning of Black History Month. And uh, if you go on to Waterstones, um, they've got a whole list of great books for improving one's knowledge of of, of Black history. And one I would recommend you read, um, which has a big thing about slavery and, and as part of that, Rum's role, is Black and British, a Forgotten History by David Olesuga, who's brilliant. He's off. Um, he's been on TV a lot recently with all the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And and his conclusion, which I thought was rather apt, given if you're looking at the history of Rome, is knowing this history better, understanding the forces it has unleashed, and seeing oneself as part of a longer story is one of the ways in which we can keep trying to move forward. Mm, and good. um Outside. yes. Yes, so um, that's it. You don't yeah. forget
0: about it. Just <clears throat> it's important people remember it. It is a big yeah. part of the rum story. I've got a picture behind cool. me of that triangle of slave trade. Oh yeah, where this no,
1: it's,
0: um, it's, um, and, it, and it was what was driving it. So uh, um, we will not be forgetting that. But it did. The upshot of it all was that rum was was uh, incredibly popular,
1: mm. it,
0: particularly in the UK and the US. So by the 17th and into the 18th century, we were drinking it and we tend to talk about this sp- spell in history When we do our uh, thinking drinkers shows or we write in the books We talk about a lot of other drinks a beer wine Brandy and gin as well a gin craze, mm. but actually rum was incredibly popular uh, in the UK It was uh, this this 17th century to the 18th century. It was the official drink of the Navy um, in London, the, all the warehouses that you now see along the side of the Thames that have been mm. converted into hugely overpriced flats, uh, <laughs> low, I mean, let's be honest. Empty, you overpriced. Everyone, everyone's, everyone's legging it. Uh, and into the country. But those those big warehouse buildings, as well as being used for beer, were being used for rum. So the mm. likes of Lamb's Rum, which is still around today, were, would have been blending rum in there. And uh, punters in taverns were drinking A lot of rum they were ordering it in drinks that we still see in classic cocktail books today flips particularly so putting molasses Mm. in with egg or cream and then they stick a red hot pitcher in there to heat it up so it was it was was one of the fashionable drinks and initially it was a lot cheaper and then it became quite fashionable and the same same went for Americans the Americans were distilling more than the British because the British passed legislation which meant they had to take their molasses back. They weren't allowed to import manufactured alcohol, so they had a lot of distillation going all along the east coast of uh, America long before <clears throat> whiskey was a was a, a thing. They were they were turning their molasses into mm. into rum, uh, and in fact, there is an argument to say that rum was bit, really the, the motivating factor in the Boston Tea Party. Yeah, we talked about tea. Being a motivating factor, most historians would talk about that beer as well we've, yeah. we've mentioned in the past may well have been a contributing factor, but also there was the 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 taxes that the British were putting on molasses yes yeah. so by, by seventeen seventy there were one hundred and forty rum distilleries along the east coast, and they were pumping out about four five million gallons of rum every year, so it was a massive industry, so the British were trying to do what they could to um, to curb that, and in the in 1733, they put forward a, a tariff on on molasses, which the Americans just ignored. Yeah, just like yeah, whatever. What you can do about it? We're just going to keep going. But uh, the stricter uh, sugar tax in 1764 mm. uh, is what really they, they think may well have been what kicked off the well tea party. So. I think
1: there is. I think there's. Uh, I, I think this is quite a convincing theory because there was there was this, there was all they were mucking about the rum with the sugar tax and stuff like that. They were also uh, flooding the market with cheap beer as well. And um so when it all kicked off, um they tossed big crates of tea into the into the into the sea, into in in, in Boston. And and so people think it was to do with tea. But they just no, it was the booze that they were it was in the fact they were mucking about the booze that annoyed them, but they still weren't winning they were like, "I oh, want well, let's not throw the booze away. Let's just mm. throw the tea overboard, and keep the booze." So, um, I mean, they're not stupid, are they? Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think we can safely say that rum and beer were the reason, were, were kickstarted the American Revolution. I'm willing to go on record as yeah, that. Let's do. Uh, it. Who's going to yeah.
0: take us down on it? No one. Well, if
1: they do, then you know,
0: well, might be some PR for us. So yeah, exactly. Just stop pumping out yeah. spurious facts and see. Yeah. See if the Times picks it up.
1: It works for some uh, people, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You might argue entire governments get over it. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. So, um, so, so that's. Are we going to take the rum history in part one of our uh, 3 parts. Uh, uh, up to that point, when rum really was hugely important, it, it does dip after this, and we'll go into that in uh, in part two. Oh, and then dip, it right, it as in
1: diplomatico, Tom.
0: Diplomatico, which brings oh, right. us neatly onto back to Diplomatico. Behind me, if you can see the video, I've got the Diplomatico oh, yeah. barrel warehouse. You're,
1: you're, you're doing, hang on, you're doing really well I'm on the pictures, yeah, pictures. What, what are we on now? What we're on now? Just barrels what?
0: of rum. That's in the warehouse oh, okay. in Venezuela oh, yeah, 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 where yeah. Diplomatico uh, mature their rums. But I just the very very quick overview of how rums made because we want to give you some information about that, and we're going to make some cocktails after we've talked about it. But, uh, but actually, in terms of the basics, it's still pretty much based on what they were doing in those early days when they were mm. trying to, to refine the sugar. They were originally kept collecting the sugar cane that they juiced the cane, they take the juices out, they'd heat that, they'd allow it to crystallize so they could bag it up and transport it to America or Europe. And molasses was that byproduct that sort of leaked off it. But they discovered they could ferment that and boil it, distill it. And thus we got rum. So those basics are still pretty much the case. If you're making rum today, you can use the sugar grass, the cane juice uh, to make your refined sugar and the juice is then concentrated in and you take the water out and you crystallize it. Um, but each stage of refinement, more sugar is removed and the remaining juice gets thicker and darker. And that's why we get molasses and a lot of rums that people enjoy are made from molasses. You can actually make the rum from the sugarcane juice, uh, rum ab which is a different style of rums to the rums we're tasting and talking about today and probably deserves its own
1: yeah. uh, hot C'est le français, oui. Style.
0: C'est français, oui. tr- Très bien. Uh, but we're going to concentrate more on molasses, which is the opposite of the sugarcane juice in flavour because it's thick. It's a bit more like a licorice um, and it gives you those big sort of sweeter, rummy style drinks that we, we think of. And it has a lot of the flavor, aroma chemicals in it, which are really good for aging. So you use that in uh, in maturation. And sugarcane honey, which is something that the guys at Diplomatico use, which is like a concentrated version of sugarcane juice. So it's more flavorsome, perhaps, than the molasses. And Diplomatico is a a good rum to use as we talk through molasses and sugarcane because they use both. So that provides us with an opportunity to talk about how those flavors come through when we're tasting different rums. Then you've got distilling methods. A very quick overview on distilling methods in the world of rum. They take their fermented rum wine or their rum beer and they can use pot stills like they use in the whisky industry or column stills, which they use in in vodka. Uh, Pot stills give you this more robust spirit. The column still gives you a lighter, higher rectified spirit. Again, Diplomatico use both those techniques. In fact, they use three different distillation techniques across all their different rums. So they've got a big batch kettle, which they use for their honey, sugarcane honey, and the lighter rums. They've got a barbette still, which is a bit like um, in Armagnac, Ben. You know the Armagnac stills. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can use that uh, for their molasses. And they've also got the pot stills for their molasses as Very well. Hmm, that's it. Very sexy stills. Yeah. Sexy stills. Uh, and then they age it, and that's why that picture is behind us the picture of the, the barrels. So, uh, and in humid conditions, very humid conditions. And again, Diplomatico, great example because although we talk a lot about Reserva Exclusiva, which is a rum we've used in our shows, and the reason we use Reserva Exclusiva is because it does tend to really convince people who think they don't like rum that rum is very. Mm. Flavoursome and there's a lot in it, but at diplomatico they make a lot of different complex rums using all those different distillation processes, but also different maturation in different wood. So they will use American oak, uh, so previously been used to rest uh, bourbon. They'll use whiskey, Scotch whiskey barrels, and um, uh, they'll use sherry barrels as well. So they've got a lot of different variants in their portfolio that do to use different barrels. But you're right, it is
1: very humid. Why does that matter, Ben? Well, Tom, um, I'm speaking once again on behalf of the audience. Um, it matters because in in the, in the warmer weather, I believe, the wood expands and contracts at a faster and more uh, expansive, in a faster more expansive way than, say, it would in more temperate climates such as Scotland. So in many ways, you are getting a faster maturation over a shorter period of time so mm-hmm. it's three is it three times quicker than and then
0: estimated up to you depending on the yeah depending on the heat you're right yeah, yeah. so thanks mate it's um that's perfectly succinct much better than what i was going to say oh, so, okay, good. <laughs> but i was speaking to nelson hernandez just this oh, week, I so claim that old name, Zoom, name drops well, keep
1: falling on my <laughs> I say,
0: head. I say I was talking to him; he was mostly talking, and I was listening. Yeah, but he was talking about how in Venezuela, where they make diplomatico, that those conditions are particularly ideal for quick interaction, rapid interaction with the wood, so that expansion and contraction because it's hot during the day there, thirty-two degrees C. And then it drops the temperature at night to no 24 way. degrees C. It's a bit like wine. <laughs> just <laughs> remind you of it. Cold, it's colder at night
1: and hotter during the day. Because yeah. that, the sun comes out. Well, that's what affects the maturation process, mm. not the
0: actual ingredients, but no, actually in no, 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 no. terms of the sugar cane that they cultivate in Venezuela, it does, it does impact on the terroir. And if you are uh, there at the foot of the Andes, and uh, and that's because that's why they have quite quite distinct temperature changes. It doesn't retain the heat during the evening because they're right next to the, the big hills there.
1: The big, uh, I think they call called mountains. Yeah, the mountain, maybe, mountains. Maybe mountains.
0: Yeah. But Nelson was saying they, because of that humidity, they lose about seven or eight percent of the spirit to evaporation, which we call the angels share mm-hmm. every year. So they put all that spirit into the barrel, and that's what essentially we're all America. taxed on. That's what we declare. We're gonna we made this much alcohol, it goes into a barrel, and then over a year, because of that evaporation process, the Diplomatico they're losing between seven and eight uh, percent. something like the Diplomatico Reserve exclusive, and some of the other rums they make have been in barrels for a minimum of twelve years. So if you think about that, it's about sixty percent of what they put into the barrel is just it's gone. Just evaporating, which Seems like, like you've got you to pay taxes. Mighty
1: waste.
0: We still
1: got to pay. If they get hold of those Venezuelan angels, they need to. I imagine they'll be turn them upside down and shake them, shake, <laughs> him, shake <laughs> them. That does sound like oh. <laughs> they're just running around and bumping into each other. Like, it's like <laughs> you grab them and it. shake them <laughs> until the coins fall out. Exactly. Venezuelan <laughs> angels. I think <laughs> that's. Uh, a, yeah. yeah anyway be um quite sick if you shook them up
0: but I, I mean i don't we talked about wine now i don't want to take a pot shot of wine um yeah. but um but it is worth just going through that again because if you look at the producers like diplomatico they've got they've also got their own propriety proprietary yeast strain Good. so, they, well done. Uh, so, so they, they look after their own yeast strain but they've got the sugar cane which they have to cultivate and grow and make sure is uh, is up to scratch their own yeast which they then use to do the fermentation and essentially we're talking there about wine making aren't we we've got our wine mm. but then they've got all these different methods of distillation three different pot still column still uh, kettles they've got mm. all of that going on so they need the, 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 the skill the, the skill to work with those and then they're going to put it into a, into barrels and they've got three different four different types of wood that they're going to age it in um so it does seem like there's quite a lot going on yes beyond the simple fermentation so i would suggest that it's very complex if you think rum is just something you have with the coca-cola hopefully we're convincing you that there's a there's a hell of a lot going on
1: yeah well i think you're right i mean it leads me seamlessly once again well done into Mm. the what i would say about Well, basically it's that rum is one of the most misunderstood of all the the main spirits. Most people when they have a rum will simply drink it historically and certainly in the UK with a a cheap mixer. But rum rum is better than that, isn't it, Tom? It's not something you should, uh, it's not something you should simply drown in coke. No, absolutely not. Um, Don't do drugs. Drugs are for mugs. They certainly are. Um, but what I don't think people realize is that I mean if you're talking about the range of rums and it's something that's showcased within Diplomasco but also lo- lots of different rums is is that uh, you have everything from the light and delicate rums to right up to the through the golden smooth aged rums to mm. dark and deep and rich rums as well and in that it can when it comes to cocktails it's incredibly versatile versatile I and it's a bartender's very much a bartender's flexible friend what was that was that from a credit card flexible friend what was that yeah was, was that?
0: that yeah i think it was a barclay card was it midland oh, bank no, i think it, was, it
1: might be midland it was a green thing what was the green one can't remember flexible anyway I've, i'm i've mastercard it could be anyway I'm any of those that. credit card companies <laughs> that would like to uh, uh really get behind this podcast then we're <laughs> we're all ears um it's very flexible. Very versatile. On the one hand, it can it can feel fun time beach parties in a vest and a pair of flip flops, mm-hmm. uh, and then on whilst on the other, at the same time, it can also hold its own as a sort of after dinner sophisticated sipping digestif to It can yeah. You know, it can discuss philosophy. It can talk about the footsie and other cerebral stuff whilst <laughs> wearing a fedora and I don't know I don't know but no like a Cravat or Picking something. Picking oranges. What? Picking oranges? I don't know. You no, do no, no, go. No, 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 no. Fedora. I mean, I've I've mixed the metaphors there because I'm saying it's an after dinner thing. Yes. Wearing a fedora, but it's it would be rude to wear a fedora indoors. Oh, gotcha. That's, okay, okay. Wait a minute. They're on the veranda fedora. in Venezuela. Yes. And fedora. They're on, fedora. <laughs> no, imagine right. Okay, so they have a pie on a beach. I'll be your drinking, dog. <laughs> just shut up. Right, there, it's a rum. So during the day, it's like in a vest and it's, and it's, uh, it's kind of having a party yeah. with like uh, fruit, fruity cocktails and it's wearing like a cool vest uh, and a pair of flip-flops. Like Vests are not cool. Vests well, you know, what are, cool. what are they called? What are they called? Um, <laughs> go with a Hawaiian shirt. A Hawaiian shirt and a pair yeah, of flip-flops. Yeah. All right. I, I thought I was going to be more... I was going more for the jock look oh uh, okay i think hawaiian is a bit cliched but anyway so they've done that later they're sat uh sipping a rum on a rocking chair on a veranda overlooking Mm. the noise of crickets you know nice like that i'll just like the noise yeah yeah yeah. that's good and uh they're talking about the gold standard and philosophy the footsie uh, what else um, but they are wearing a fedora outside okay. Gosh, gotcha. and uh, maybe having a cigar but don't smoke it's bad for you yeah anyway um, there aren't many well, what I'm saying is there aren't many spirits that can do it like take vodka for instance mm, mm. probably can't do that with vodka no you can vodka, but you can't do it, with it. Um, brandy maybe yeah brandy whiskey brandy whiskey uh, yeah. you can um <laughs> Uh, basically, I'm not going to tell you the ones we can't. Gin because... can't. Gin can't. No, can't probably not. No. I mean, we have started drinking
0: neat gin, but uh, that's, that's a, th-
1: more of an issue with that's that's just lockdown, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> with um, our families. So um, yeah. So what I'm saying is that it's very versatile, and bartenders mm. can work with a lot of different flavours. Blah blah blah. Yeah, well, well done. done.
0: I I agree. One of um, the
1: um, <clears> one of the cocktails that I do want to talk to you about, Tom and listeners, is the Mojito because that is uh, arguably the most popular rum cocktail in the UK um although it's probably not as loved by, as much by bartenders who on a busy night um have a you know don't like muddling too much because it mm. when it's 10 at 10 deep at the bar it can take quite a lot of time to make a proper mojito when it's done properly so but they are wonderful and the 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 the, the rum we're going to use for the mojito is Diplomatical Planner. It is. I have a picture um, of it behind me, and I'm yeah, holding. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Let me get out. You get Let your picture get as well. Wait um, uh, There we go. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't even just But anyway, um, yes, um, and it's. Um, they also, um, yeah. I mean, they've got they, um, the planets Is great for mixing. I mean, they've got a broad range of rums. Due to Venezuelan law, it's quite important. This bit: rum can't be bottled until it is at least two years old. So the planus has up. It contains. It's a blend, so it's got some rums that aged up to six years in ex bourbon barrels. Um, And then what they do is they blend. uh, The blend is then charcoal filtered up to six times, so they really, really rip out all the colour to create a very, very refined and very sort of textured. Texturally rich, Tom. White rum, um, mm. which you can drink rum. We uh, drink rum. Or drink neat, rather, on the rocks. Um, but it also is great in a an, in a mojito or, or a daiquiri. Um, yes. Then you've also got the Mantuano, which I've got here. Here we go. Yeah, got a bottle of that as well. Oh yes. Uh, still got the nice man on the front with a moustache. Rocking oh, we'll him. talk about him. His name yeah, is
0: course. Juancho Melendez. Yes, he was a local rum enthusiast who had a massive rum collection. He's not actually directly dis- linked to the setup of the distillery, but he was such a local hero. The uh, distillery decided to put him on labelled in a sort of stamp style because oh, he was. Great. He went all over the world and learned all about rum. And and that's what they, I think that's what their ambition is, isn't it? Diplomatico, just to get more people drinking the
1: stuff. Which yeah, he have got a great tash he has. combo. Good facial hair all coming together. Um, and that's a Mantuan is a blender. I'm aged for up to eight years. Um, and if you're going up a little bit higher, up to more complex cocktails, so you've taken your flip flops off, maybe slid into something like uh, some Espadrilles, drills. Maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe some. Uh, give me a. Give me a nice shoe. Give me a nice, but not too formal. Loafer. Like like a, a loafers, are you going to yes. be one of
0: those guys wearing loafers, no socks? Loafers, yeah, pink, no socks. Sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: If yeah. you yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about. I don't like the <laughs> sure. look, but it's that occasion.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you know?
1: that's exactly <laughs> what they were aiming at. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I know. I mean, they're not. I don't think in a Diplomatico or marketing board, boardroom they're going. <laughs> These guys, the ones that's that the used to wear loafers yeah, with no sobs, yeah. socks. Those yeah. guys. Huge. Yeah. But I'm talking yeah. more of the occasion. Okay, yeah? Gotcha. Um, um, so they've slipped into those. And, right. um, and so you're after something a bit more complex. You're not dancing yeah. with it. That's gotcha. Gotcha. the same. Okay? Gotcha. Gotcha. Got you. Yeah. So the that's probably what you're looking for. Well, we'll go, I think yeah. we'll,
0: we'll look more at the Mantuana ne- ne- in the next episode. Cause we're yeah, going right. to, we're, we're going to talk about a couple of very classic cocktails for, to cover this early part of rum's history. And then when we go into the next part, well, maybe we'll make something a bit more modern to show how rum has gone, gone through its tiki phase and uh, it's being used oh. in things like old fashions now and uh, what
1: a journey Tom
0: what a journey it, it has been a journey but yeah. it, it, because of the popularity of rum in the 17th 18th century you, you see records of it starting to make its way into mixed drinks if you go back to America the early mid 18th century you've got the fish house punch which is a very famous cocktail mm-hmm. that served up at the philadelphia fishing club in the 1730s right next to the school river uh, they mixed brandy with rum tea lemon and sugar and one of the origin stories of punch is from the hindu word meaning five so it's thought that some of these first mixed drinks were using the sugar-based distillates with four other ingredients uh, and that's what gave us the punch but the first actual cocktail in inverted commas could have come as early as the 1560s via Francis Drake.
1: Is, Sir Francis Drake, to you think? Is Tom.
0: this story true, Ben? Who I cares? We, Who cares? It's we, true. <laughs> you we believe weren't it. there. We weren't there. But certainly there is some evidence, some evidence to suggest that he and his crew were drinking sugar based alcohol. As they traveled around the circumnavigated the globe, I should say. Yeah. yeah, Drake. yeah. He did no, no mean feat here. He did go all the way around. And um, and he went via the Caribbean. And his his crew would drink grog, which is a term that became a bit later on, but it was essentially a yeah. word that meant mixing their their rum with something. And Drake's crew, uh, they called theirs El Drac or Draquito, and it was named after Drake, most likely it was booze or Guardiente or sugar distillate, as close as rum we can get to at that time before rum was really a thing. And it was mixed with things that have medicinal benefits. So as they were going around the Caribbean, it is expected that they were drinking their rum with tree bark. And why that's important is because the barks were later used in things like tonics, quinine. Um, but also in Angostura bitters, okay, um, and 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 mint and lime. So right. essentially, they were making these very first cocktails. They were mixing things with sweet and sour and bitter flavors with their rum. Angostura bitters is, as is, is just as a sidetrack, is quite interesting because they were designed by a doctor during the Venezuela War for Independence uh, to treat illnesses so they were actually produced in the town of angostura which is now um, Bolivar, which is in venezuela so another link back to our venezuelan rum
1: so and another we, link tom back to medicine and nicely yeah. like my, my like my minstrel paracetamols <laughs>
0: which are going to become a thing I think yeah I'm right there with dog nappies and shower <laughs> don't you worry I want, that this i've already been on
1: to. <laughs> i've already registered the website Whilst well, you've been talking, well, anyway,
0: another revenue stream, we're gonna be, be millionaires <laughs> exactly. someday. I'll spell it right this time. When anyway, inflation means a million pounds means nothing. So, the, the, the later on, with essentially, what we're talking about here is the very first mojito. These right. ingredients are still being used in a mojito today. They, they, they come without fizzy water, so the missing ingredient didn't yeah. come to the 1800s soda water. We saw the popularity of the mojito emerged then. In Cuba, in particular, as they developed it, sort of became a bit more refined, and they served and, it up.
1: And sorry, uh, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt Tom, but uh, mm. on behalf of the listeners, uh, the lime mm. you said that was that that cured that was used to see the scene as curing scurvy was it or did you? Well, to, this was this was it,
0: the the story of lime. We have to it sort of it's it's predating the more medicinal evidence of lime but they were drinking they were getting their vitamin c from the limes and they knew it was making okay. them feel better but we go up to the story of the gimlet which is a bit bit later isn't it when okay they, when they make the lime, lime does am
1: i right in saying that lime does, does that's sh- why we're called limeys,
0: ben isn't it yeah 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 You're so vitamin c
1: always. cures scurvy do you know what vitamin d cures in terms of allergies?
0: <laughs> i hope it's not
1: related to no, it's nothing rude. Exploits as a 20-something. As no. Okay. <laughs> no, no it, nothing cures that. I can tell you that for nothing. That's for no. life, not just Christmas. <laughs> it's, no, it's vitamin D cures rickets. Ah. Yeah. So there we go. Thanks. <laughs> That's all right. I only know that because my biology GCSE, I remember vitamin C cures scurvy. Vitamin oh. D cures rickets. And I can't okay. remember the others. Out so, so there's Drake, and we give him
0: credit for creating the first mojito, and that's what a mojito will look like today. A Bit different to how he would have been drinking it, and they served them up at La Bodi, La Bodhi, you know La B- Bodigita, Bodigita, oh, yeah, right. Del Medio. Uh, believe it or not, it's a bar I've been to, even though yeah, I can't yeah. say it correctly, well, and that's you in can Havana. Say anything by the time you left, yeah. So if you go there, you can have a a, a fantastic. Uh, Mojito drink, and in fact Hemingway drank there, and Hemingway Ben drank uh, not only mojitos, but he drank the daiquiri, didn't he? Which is the others,
1: Tom? Well done, oh, you're good. Oh, so mm. good, <laughs> yeah. Daiquiri, Cub- uh Cuban classic, uh, named after the mining town in Oriente province, um, which was pre uh, before 1905, it was known as Santiago de Cuba, and it's where Fidel Castro was born. Um, mm-hmm. And I reckon the recipe was created um, at the turn of the century, around 1900s, by a mining engineer called um, Jennings Cox. Stop it. And a Cuban engineer who went by the name Bagalucci. I don't know why I'm doing an Italian accent, because he <laughs> wasn't Italian. Did they eat tapas? Hey. <laughs> hey. Bagallucci. Um I say they made it. I'm saying they sort of created this recipe, but... It was a very simple recipe. It goes back to what you were just talking about. It was lime, sugar, and rum. And goes back to sort of Navy navy grog, really. But the main thing that trans, sort of transformed these uh, magic ingredients, uh, when I say magic, lime, sugar, rum, into a daiquiri is, was the introduction of ice in the 1900s. So that added a whole new dimension to it. Um, and it crossed over to America some years later in 1909 when a, uh, there was a guy called Rear Admiral Lucius W. Johnson. That's such an American name, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, and he was a, um, a Navy medical officer, and he introduced it to the Army and Navy Club in Washington, D.C. Uh, talk and taste of the daiquiri spread over the years and became a favourite of famous folk, such as John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy, and most famously, Ernest Hemingway. Mm. Um, now in the 1930s Hemingway had moved to Cuba um, and he loved, it, he loved it a lot he, did. he was a heavy drinker again not as heavy drinker as uh, Alexander the Great of course but he was a staunch regular at the El Floridita bar um, and, he, um, and he loved the daiquiri um, but when his wife basically his wife at the time was worried about the fact that he was drinking so much sugar because he had diabetes and they asked, asked the bartender to make some changes. And then the Hemingway daiquiri was born because um, they replaced the sugar. <laughs> they, the to replace the sugar with cherry liqueur. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to replace sugar, I will tell you what, go easier on the sugar. Have this instead <laughs> uh, some cherry, cherry liqueur, which uh, obviously made very little difference to mm. uh, the actual amount of sugar he was consuming. Yeah. Uh, a bit of dash of grapefruit, and apparently, um, I don't know. You can, do you know, the, uh, did the, the Hemingway daiquiri, uh, the re- the official recipe or the legendary recipe, has twice the amount of rum? Is that right, or is that?
0: Yeah, um, that we, we do. We've written a lot about the daiquiri in this book, which is quite nicely placed right next to me. Well, the me world, Tom, is, world's that? best, world's best cocktails. No way, that's interesting. Yeah. Is that available, available
1: on Amazon? Yeah, um, it's available um, to, oh no don't get through our website because I've got down a, down a post <laughs> and you have to send it out. out just get <laughs> it on
0: Amazon it's easy for everyone uh, he apparently drank the um, there's the Doble, which was the double which yeah. was it's still served up yeah, yeah. Yeah, at, uh, Floridita where he drank and, and in fact I've been to Floridita and there's a huge bronze statue of him stood next to the bar he was a, such a regular he apparently drank a Montgomery which was um, a drink I think he might have even invented based on uh, montgomery's war tactic of preferring ratios of 15 to one <laughs> who doesn't prefer those ratios in a fight hey eh? right 15 to
1: one so he'd have 15 parts rum so um yeah he was a big he was a big fan of the drink and well that's quite himself. spooky tom because um i was in my research i discovered that he allegedly drank on average when he was Basically, time went on. Uh, he uh, allegedly drank as many as 16 in one evening, which is 15 plus one. What well, a what close, close. A spooky world we live in. Um, oh, yeah. which might explain why he, <laughs> if you drank 16 of these, he this might be when he came up with this plan because he was sat around the Florida bar. Uh, it was Second World War and he came up with his own plan to fight Hitler from Cuba. Um, and he rounded up a uh, motley crew of nazi hunters and he went and asked the american ambassador if he could arm his fishing boat with basically heavy um, military uh, artillery so bazookas machine guns that kind of thing and he um and his plan was to to hunt down nazi submarines the ambassador for some reason said yes gave him all this gear and so he went out with um a big crew which included uh, a man called a uh, salty sea dog named Sinbad, a Catholic <laughs> priest, some tramps. Can you say tramps each day? Probably not. Those of no fixed abode, and and some of the Florida waiters. Uh, he called it the Crook Factory. And um, weirdly, they didn't catch any Nazis. <laughs> there weren't any there. There weren't any um, there. Um, no. um, so uh, the bored, they, they instead just started throwing the hand grenades into the water um and uh, as a way of fishing um mm. so um successfully my understanding of it was yeah 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 they yeah. caught a
0: lot of fish by blowing them up there's yeah. a picture of a very famous boat uh behind me at the moment there's uh the crew with a huge catch he did like a bit of game fishing didn't he um, yeah but yeah generally lunatic Lots he was lunatic. a bit of a
1: lunatic he he, uh, he famously survived two plane crashes in, in two successive days and on the second one uh, he was found about a week later coming out of the jungle holding some bananas and a bottle of gin.
0: <laughs> lad. What a lad. What a lad. Uh, lad. Not very nice to women.
1: No, um, he wasn't. Um, no. I don't but think... He was an all real... right writer. He could, yeah. he could have... I mean, he's taken a tip from me longer sentences.
0: Hmm. Uh, we wrote about him extensively in this book as well, didn't we, Ben? Which What's we that? must mention. Thinking the Drinkers. Thinking Drinker's Guide yeah, yeah, to Alcohol. Yeah. Which you can order hold it up because we've got about 200 and lock up so um um, but the daiquiri is really easy to make i'm just going to quickly make one because i prepared all the ingredients pre-poured um and i've used 50 milliliters of the planas the diplomatico um clear rum uh 20 milliliters of lime juice and 15 milliliters of sugar syrup which i just made on a with a pan of two parts water to one part, I just use normal sugar. You could use demerara sugar.
1: Yeah. Part, you a um, and then you shake it up. Oh, yeah. and That's a nice face you've got there, Tom.
0: Thus, It's actually seen as a bit of a barometer for a bartender's skill, isn't it, the daiquiri? Um, because She's those simple, ingredients. Complex. Yeah, there's not much to it. And yet, as I'm sure I'm gonna prove, it's incredibly easy to um, to get it wrong. It's a bit like running
1: down the beach and no clothes on. You're, all your faults are exposed. Yeah, Not your fault. I'm sure you look wonderful. Well, you won't get beach.
0: arrested for a bad no. daiquiri, but no. you will get arrested for that. Uh, and for the there you go. Game. And I put a nice lime chunk on well the side done. of it. And um, I've served it up in a baby sham glass because um, it's can. actually quite a nice, a nice size
1: for the measure. Hmm? That is... Well, I can't. Is it nice? If you don't get go- Actually, I, I was I was braced to say
0: because it's been sat there a while, and one of the most important things if you're making a cocktail is having good ice, and my ice has been sat on the desk here, slightly melting. But actually, um, oh, I actually want to have one. It's really good. I'm quite impressed with myself. <laughs> Sorry to sound like a. Trying big as I'm supposed
1: to be good at this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what it should look like if you can see the picture.
1: Yeah. It's a beautiful picture of the,
0: uh, That's in fact, that is the look of the And it is a great drink. It is London Cocktail Week, so I think we've all, we've all enjoyed having a go at making cocktails in in the home during lockdown, and everyone's got reasonably good at it, but no one's as good at it. As,
1: Leave like, it to the pros. Yeah,
0: you know, someone like Happiness forgets one of the best bars in the world. Go and have a uh, Diplomatico cocktail there, and you'll, you'll, you'll experience something a lot better than what you can make at home. Um, so that is, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. With a I drink. do as well. You've got um, a drink.
1: I've, um, I've,
0: you haven't, but you've got lots of I rums. have. I've, I've been
1: drinking Diplomatico Reserve do Ex- <laughs> Sleeve, uh, all the way through.
0: <laughs> so, and it shows Responsibly. But actually, we'll get we'll get on to drinking some rum neat in the third part of this three-part series. Next week, we'll talk about some more modern rums to use uh, to, to make at home. But we'll talk about sipping rums at the end and chocolate. So stay on on track till the end because we're going to be doing Diplomatico rums with some chocolate tasting as well. Uh, But that's it for this week. Hopefully you enjoyed it. As we say, go out and uh, drink in the bars while you still
1: can. Yeah. Mm. Please Please support them. Even if you don't live in London, wherever you live, go and have a rum. Support them. They need your help. And Mm. it's fun because there's not much of that going on at the moment. But thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope it was uh, educational and a big thanks to Diplomatica. We love those guys. Yeah. Okay. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>